please open in your Old Testament to the book of Judges, to the very last chapter in the book of Judges, to the very last verse. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. When the history books are written about this era in the United States, it will be described as a period of organized chaos. That's my opinion. Let's see what happens. Organized chaos. By organized, I mean that it is intentional. I can't say why a nation would turn on itself and become so chaotic. I, I don't know. I can guess. Uh, is it an effort to collapse the system and start fresh with a new one? Maybe. Is it an attempt to devastate those who want to conserve the worldview of the past in order to give rise to a more progressive way of thinking? I do wonder whether or not these open borders are a sincere compassion for people who are oppressed and destitute in Latin America and other parts of the world. Is it really a sincere a sincere compassion for these people? Or is it in order to develop a broader voting base? Is this maybe a stretch for a greater political longevity? Or is all this chaos simply uh, a rebellion against God for what the human heart really wants? I don't know. I wonder if anybody knows. I do know that it is chaotic. By chaos, I simply mean that there's complete disorder, there's complete confusion. Chaos. And this chaos is not simply in the situations that we see on a daily basis on our screens of criminals who are not being charged um, or the chaos of ridiculous prices that we see at the gas pumps or the supermarket shelves. The chaos of crime rates just soaring in major cities uh, or the chaos of a suicide epidemic among our youth, or the chaos that's produced between the chasm between two political parties. There's a greater chaos in the midst of all this. It is the chaos, the moral chaos, created by those who would say that good is bad and bad is good. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand how we can label something so clearly wrong, so clearly sinful, as being okay, or good, or the new way of thinking, of living. Now, as you well know, this is not the first time that society lapses into chaos. If you read any historical books, you know that again and again, in different parts of history, in different parts of the world, this sort of chaos has existed in different ways, sometimes even worse. We do not have to look back too far before we see quite a bit of chaos here in the United States, namely in the 1960s. A chaos of different sorts, but it was a chaos uh, that set the foundation for what we see today. Certainly it has happened many times over history. But what we see here in Judges is one of those episodes that lasted about 350 years in the people of Israel. 
take a look at Judges chapter 1, verse 25, and look at how the book finishes. The very last words in the book of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because the people of Israel did not have a leader, each person chose for themselves what was right and what was wrong. They chose for themselves how they would respond in light of the fact that they had no leadership. And because they had no leadership, they chose foolishly. And that foolishness turned into chaos, and the chaos turned into tragedy. Look with me as we run very quickly through the book of Judges. The need for leadership. Our need, their need for leadership. Again and again we see the words, there was no king in Israel. We see it here in chapter 21, verse 25. But if you go back just a few chapters to chapter 17, verse 6. It reads that there was no king in Israel. Go over to chapter 18, verse 1. There was no king in Israel, followed, of course, by tragedy. Chapter 19, verse 1. There was no king in Israel, followed again by tragedy. There are very few happy endings in the book of Judges. This is not the Hallmark Channel. And it comes at the very tail end of Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua. In Deuteronomy, the people were getting ready to enter the promised land. And as they're entering the promised land, Moses, of course, passes away, no longer a leader for them. And so Joshua comes and becomes their leader, and he is the conquering general. And by means of leading the people, leading the military of Israel, they're able to conquer the lands that need to be conquered, and they enter into the land that was promised to them by God. And Judges begins with the people of Israel now in the promised land, but they have no king. They have no real leader. Let me remind you of what the very end of Deuteronomy reads, chapter 28, towards the end there. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verses 1 and 2, says this. Look at this promise. And if you, this is God speaking to the people of God through Moses. He says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, before I go any further, let me just notice something here. This was not a promise made to, to the United States of America. This is a promise being made to Israel. God never said to the USA that you, America, are above all the other nations of the earth. Those words were never said to us. They were said to the people of Israel. That God would set Israel above all the other nations. Because God had a very specific and a very determined particular plan for the people of Israel, just as he does for the church. The Bible does not speak to the United States. It speaks to people in general, but not to our governance, our system of government. 
However, the Bible does say that God will bless the nation that honors him. Take a look with me at Psalm 33 and verse 12. There God says that he blesses those nations that honor him. Very clearly. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But even here we see that God chooses to bless who he wills. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And so this promise here in Deuteronomy is made specifically to Israel. But we understand that God does bless those nations that honor him. The book of Judges is recorded in a not far different way in which we see the United States today. What I mean is that the headlines of today are similar to what we read in the book of Judges, better said. Uh, you change the context, you change the technology, change some of the customs of the land, and what do, we, what do you have here in the book of Judges? You have uh, the news we watch today for ourselves about what's happening within our own borders. All because why? Israel had no leadership, or they had very poor leadership. Notice here that Israel did not have direction, and Israel did not have definition. They didn't know which way to go. They didn't know who they were. They had no definition as to what is right, what is wrong. No direction, no definition. And like us, they needed someone to lead them in order to make the right decisions, in order to go in the right direction. I do find it interesting that when you read the 23rd Psalm, verse 3, notice there it says, He leads me beside still waters. Why does it say he leads me beside still waters? Well, the reason why God has to lead us beside still waters is because we can't find them ourselves. He needs to lead us there. We are unable to produce or even find tranquility or civility, the very civility we need. We have to be led there. God's word leads us there. God himself, through his word, takes us to the place where the waters are still and gives us a peace that we otherwise will not find. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, the very first part says this, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. It's not that we are always wrong. I know you're not always wrong. It's that we are wrong often enough. And so wisdom would say, you know what, instead of trusting in your own mind, go see what God has to say. Go seek the counsel of God first. And like Israel, we need to be guided. A life without God as king always spirals into anarchy. Uh, let's take a look at the cause of anarchy. Again, Judges 21-25 Everyone did what was right in his own eyes Notice something here That they have just entered a promised land And it took only one generation Just one generation Of being in a new land Before they forgot God uh, All this is happening around the year 1400 BC And if you go back to Judges chapter 2 verse 10 This is what it reads 
For those of you who are quick, I'll wait just a few seconds. Okay, here we go. Chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, they all died. That generation died out. It goes on. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. In one generation, the people forgot God. They forgot what God had said. They forgot the law of God. They forgot what God had done for them. All in one generation of entering the promised land. Now keep in mind that they had been eagerly, very anxious about entering the promised land. And the very thing that Moses warned them to do, they forgot. Once you enter the promised land, do not forget the word of God. Because this is the promise, Deuteronomy 28. God will set you up greater than any other nation. And what do they do? They forget the word of God. They put the word of God aside. In, in one generation, the society began to collapse. Courts were in disarray. Families were on the brink of disaster. Sexuality became perverse. Worship became paganized. Their military became inferior. Does that sound familiar to you? Now, keep in mind, to their credit, they did what they believed was right. They believed it was right. They had good intentions. They were unable to decipher right from wrong. I'm sure that at times they got it right. But the result was a form of anarchy. Anarchy meaning that there is a state of disorder because there was no real authority. So everyone did what they believed what was right. Authority was set aside. They no longer acknowledged the authority of God. And so the authority they had through judges became very weak and unprofitable. They were not able to lead properly in a way that the people needed. And so everyone did what he or she thought was right in their own eyes. And my neighbor did it, I did it, everyone else did according to what was right in my own eyes. And again, the result was 350 years of this going back to their sin, going back to their sin. At times they would repent and God would restore and they would go back. Seven times over, they went back to their sin like a dog goes back to his vomit. 350 years is longer than the life of the United States. It's a long time. And again, they did have good intentions, very good intentions at times. Uh, and in my opinion, very good intentions, much like many people who oppose the biblical worldview today. Uh, people who really, really do believe that what they are believing, what they are following, what they are doing is what's best for humankind. Can't say mankind, that's been canceled. Humankind. They really do believe this is best. In fact, they think that you are fanatical for believing what you believe. For believing that this book here, this ancient book, is actually going to speak life 
in this modern day and age. They think it's an absurdity. However, it is them, they, who have detached themselves from God. They have therefore detached themselves from reality. Good intentions are seldom good enough. We all appreciate good intentions, correct? But we also know that usually good intentions bring about plenty of regret because they are usually wrong. What we need is more than just good intentions, my friends. What we need is good judgment, which does not come very naturally to us when, it, when, when we're talking about moral matters. Good judgment doesn't seem to come natural to us. And so we need somebody who does have an impeccable record. And not only an impeccable record, but an impeccable righteous and wise judgment. When there is no proper ruler, don't forget this, when you do not have a proper ruler, a state of disorder is going to result. Israel needed a Christ figure to lead them and rescue them, but they did not want him. It is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that we are able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Eliminate Christ, eliminate the God factor, and we will be left with an inability to decipher truth from non-truth, right from wrong. So let's take a look at what happened here and how we correlate it to ourselves this morning. Deciding what is right and what is wrong. What the nation back then in Israel, as well as today, were asking is how do we know whose right is right? How do we know you are right when somebody else has an opposing view? And what right really does matter? Whose right matters? After all, is it morality a social construct? Don't we decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong? Those are the questions that are being asked today as well as back then. Well, in Israel, it was understood that God decided what was right and what was wrong. That was a given. God decides what is right and what is wrong. And the result uh, is that these people believed that God actually existed, and yet God was uh, transcendent. He was way beyond who the people are. And it was man's job to discover what God has said is right and what is wrong. But Israel at this point, they're sinners, like us. Israel at this point was not interested in what God had said. There was no one who wanted to go back to the law and say, well, let's see what God has said, even though they knew God had already spoken. And so they could not decide what was right or what was wrong. Uh, they became indecisive and they decided for themselves because they refused to go back to the word of God, even though they knew God's word was there ready to be read and ready to be understood. Now, here in the United States, we're a little bit beyond that. In the United States, uh, we've gone to the point where we believe that right and wrong is decided by consensus. 
In other words, right and wrong is decided by the majority vote. If we could get enough people to decide this is right, then it must be right. And so then morality does become a social construct. People decide the standard for morality. So morality is determined by the American vote. And let me suggest to you that we have overvalued the democratic process and we now expect it to do more than it can possibly do. The democratic process cannot determine what is moral or what is immoral. And as a result, we have this great political struggle. On the left, we have those who have been deemed the blue people are a determination to emancipate man from this bully God, to free man from this demanding, restricting God, and let every person be themselves. Be free to be whoever you are or want to be, or you think you are, as long, of course, as it does not impose on your neighbor. Once you begin to impose on your neighbor, then we have a problem. And of course, as long as you don't oppress those who have historically been oppressed, because then you deserve to be oppressed if you are the oppressor. That's the new blue line. The only people who are to be, well, I should put it this way, the only rule that exists is oppress the oppressor. And this we call progressivism, a progression away from the ways of the past because we no longer need them. In fact, they would argue they were not as good as you thought they were. So let's progress beyond them. And then on the right, people deemed red is a determination to use common sense and natural law and at times the Bible. Common sense, natural law, and at times the Bible to win over the majority of voters. Again, so that we could go back to what we used to be. It's an effort to conserve the values we once possessed, the values that made us once great. And the emphasis on the red side is living independently, but always conscious of the community. Uh, with this idea, whatever is wholesome and has been good for me will certainly be good for all of us. And so what is good for me should be extended to you as well. Give people parameters and give people opportunity in order for them to advance. Parameters saying you could go this far but no further and give them the opportunity so that they can advance themselves. Whatever you do, don't simply give them the advance. Give them the opportunity for the advancement. And let them freely express themselves even if it is harmful to themselves. That's what the right says. You know, what the Supreme Court said this week is not that abortion, that abortion is illegal, rather immoral, that abortion is wrong. What they said simply is that the Constitution does not afford the right for abortion. It does not demand it. It does not insist on it. It simply says that the states have to decide what is right and what is wrong. You see, in America... Morality is determined by consensus. The people decide right or wrong.
And this has become conservatism, an effort to conserve the beliefs that made America once great. Strong family, strong economy, strong military, strong work ethic, strong capitalism, strong independence, strong faith. And many of these, if not all of these, are all values that we see coming from the scriptures. But let me make something very clear here in regards to conservatism. It is not conservative unless you begin with the word of God. It is not conservative unless you begin with the word of God. Otherwise, all you're going to be conserving is the past. All you're going to have is political nostalgia. All you're going to be left with is politics. All you're going to have is the past, what sitting majority people decided was what we wanted. for life and for government. Uh, let me quote to you from a Jewish philosopher by the name of uh, Yoram Hazoni. He notes that we have the truth of God, which directs to more truth for life and government. You see, if you want to be truly conservative, then you have to begin with the word of God. And honestly, I'm not really concerned whether you're conservative or progressive. My concern is this. Are you beginning with the word of God? You see, because when you begin with the word of God, it will lead you to truth for life and for government. So my concern is not whether you wear blue or red. My question is, where do you begin your value system? Your value system will be reflected in your politics, but first it has to be reflected in your lifestyle. True conserving begins when we take the word of God and we conserve the word of God for how we live. Other words, otherwise, we're just going to be conserving the past with a twinge of nostalgia. Take a look at this chart. I wrote it here in a chiastic form. Determining what is right. What is the foundation of our laws? Well, the answer is the moral standard. What is the root or the foundation of the moral standard? Well, the root of our moral standard is the designed created order. And where do we get this designed created order? We got this designed created order from God himself, from the perfect creator God. What if there is no God? then there is no created order. And what if there's no created order? Well, then everything will be random and tyranny results. And what if everything is random and tyranny results? We get chaos. And my friends, what do we have today? We have chaos. And we have chaos because we say there is no God. Just recently... Chris Evans, an actor, the lead voice or the voice of Lightyear, the recent cartoon, not for children. He said, the human story is one of constant social awakening and growth, and that's what makes us good. 
In other words, what makes us good is that our morality is constantly changing. You know who I think would believe those words? Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I think they hold to that philosophy. You know who else holds to that philosophy? Those scientists in whatever lab created the coronavirus. You know, it was wrong 100 years ago, but now it's okay. We've evolved. You know whoever, who else believes this philosophy? The generals in Myanmar who have presided over a brutal ethnic cleansing. They believe that it is good to have this constant moral changing. The rioters who loot in our major cities and burn down uh, private businesses, they believe this. Those folks who believe in shifting social identity, they would hold to that. People threatening the lives of justices would agree. Morality changes. It's okay for me to do it. What all these have in common is that they have abandoned the concrete, objective, moral standards of God for their own moral standards for their own self-discovery, for their own approval. And the result is chaos, threat, and fear, turmoil, and tyranny. My friends, in order to be conservative, you have to conserve the word of God. Your private life is as important as your public life. In other words, you cannot say, I stand for this principle, but not live it out. You need a king. We need a king. You see, when I say that, like us, Israel had no direction or definition and needed a leader, I'm not referring to us needing a new president in the White House. I'm not referring to us needing new legislators in Congress or a new member of the Supreme Court. When I say that we are a people without definition and without direction, I am speaking about anyone and everyone who does not have the Lord Jesus Christ as king presiding over his, her life. Before the nation needs a king, we each individually need the king, Jesus Christ, who will lead us to still waters, and who will guide us to what is right. We each need a king to preside over our lives. You know, the evil out there is certainly, certainly threatening. But there's an even greater evil. There's an evil that lurks inside of our own hearts, an evil that exists, it is actual, it is present, it is nearer than what's happening outside. It is an evil that will take over our lives. And that's why we need a king. An evil that's a greater threat to us than anything that's happening in the streets or in the courtrooms. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 2 reads this way. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. All the ways of men are pure in his own eyes, but God... He looks at the motivation. He weighs the spirit. You know, we often do do what is good. We do. You do. 
But God says, great, let me check out the motivation. Why are you doing what is good? Which takes me to Genesis chapter 6, at the very beginning of mankind. Verse 5, it reads this way. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. That's hard to grasp, to accept. That it was constant evil in the hearts of men and women. In fact, some people will even question this verse. And they'll say that, you know, at times I'm not evil at all. But here it's saying that even our best intentions are laced with sin over and over and over again. Our best intentions are laced with sin. Well, let me see if I can solidify that truth for you. Consider the employee who works very hard for his boss, her boss, in order to get a promotion. Not because he cares for the boss, but because he cares about himself, because with that promotion it's going to come a raise and the prestige of another rank. Even if it means he has to beat out that mother, that single mom of four, who is doing everything she can to keep food on the table. You see, you work hard, but what is the motivation? Or the parents who nurture their children as well as they possibly can, only so that they can be satisfied about the child's reputation and be able to say, look at what I produced. Or maybe the, the committed school teacher who wants the class to reflect well on her. Or the preacher who preaches the word of God wisely and insightfully and wants everybody to know it. Or maybe the child who obeys very carefully and diligently because he wants to win his mother's love. I think sin can be found in most of our intentions. Sin can be found in most of our good intentions. But there is hope. If you look in Hebrews chapter 1, in fact I was reading a couple of articles this week and and somebody pointed out Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and, and it just caught my eye and I thought I'd share it with you. It's a verse you know, a verse I was reminded of. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There it reads, After making purification for sins, He, Jesus Christ, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sin, Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not only did Jesus Christ take back his place of authority, his rightful position in heaven. But he stopped working. He stopped. It was done. It is finished. You see, in the ancient Jewish days, the priest had to continuously be making sacrifices all year round for different holidays, at times thousands of sacrifices in a day. For the forgiveness of sins. It was bloody. It was gory. It was a mess. It was not pretty. Constantly making sacrifices for sins. But Jesus Christ, once and for all, he sacrificed himself and he sat down. His work was finished. 
He provided forgiveness of sins. He did everything that needed to be done in order to deal with the effects of your sin. And then he stopped. There's no more to be done. He sat down because it was indeed finished. Your sin, through Jesus Christ, finds forgiveness. And it brings your soul not only to the place of tranquility, not only to those safe waters, but to living waters. When there is no proper ruler, a state of disorder results. But when you have Jesus Christ as your king, you will know right from wrong. You will be able to live at peace with the one who has reconciled you to God himself. And he will define for you who you are. And he will provide direction for you. He will be your king who will lead you so that you do not have to do whatever is right in your own eyes. It will be listed here for you. And there you will find not only your hope, you will find your success. You will find life. There is no need to live without a king. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you. Because this truth is a truth for all days, for all times, for all people. We thank you, Lord, for having exposed us to this truth. And for having offered yourself to be our king. For having made made it possible that we can be subjects of yours. And that you can rule over our lives through your grace. Through the atonement that you provided on the cross. And we pray then, Lord, two things. One, for all those in this room who do not know you as king, we ask, O oh God, that you would stir in their hearts, that you would move in them, that they would know you as Lord and Savior, as king. And then, Lord, for the rest of us, who at times feel that we can depart from your rule and how easy it is to submit ourselves to our own intentions, we pray, O oh God, that we would see the severity of these decisions and seek to conserve your principles, your word, your truth in our lives, in our homes, in our church, so that it will be one day reflected in our nation. Work in us, Lord, to be sanctified this way. We pray these things in your good name, Jesus Christ. Amen.